Welcome to the teaching ministry of Temple Baptist Church. While we hope you can join us in person, our prayer is that this message will encourage you to love God and serve Him in a deeper way. Well, good morning. So good to see you, and thanks again for coming back today. For those who are new among us, my name is Donald, and I'm one of the pastors here. Last week, we began a new series, and this has been on my mind all week. And in fact, I was so stressed out about it, been stressed out knowing that we had to do that little diddly. That, that was stress, max stress. And so I had this dream uh, this weekend, and it just about sunk me. I woke up, literally, I woke up with this pounding headache about today. And, uh, and, and this dream, a real dream actually, I was sitting in the front row and, and I was so like rushed and, and so I ran to my desk and I grabbed all my papers and I, and I came up here and I realized I had all the elders minutes and, I, and, I, and the deacons and old photo albums. I'm like, where's my, and, and, and I had grabbed of all things my great grandmother's Bible that she brought on the boat when she came from England is about this big and the, and the print is so small. And, and I remember asking somebody, can somebody turn on a light? Cause I was still in the dark and, and they turn on one light. And, and I was trying to read this small print. In the meantime, Emma Lane had a bunch of college students over there taking photos of the college ministry while I'm trying to preach. And, uh, and it was so stressful. I hope it's not really a picture of what's gonna happen here this morning as we gathered together. Well, last week we introduced a, the character David, who we probably know better as King David, but long before he became king, long before he had that title, he was simply David. He's the youngest of eight boys and two sisters. And uh, I have found David to be one of the most fascinating individuals in all the Bible. There is so much written about this man, and I am sure there are things written about him that he wishes was never written about him. Aren't you glad that things, the bad things that you've done aren't record it for the future generations to read uh, about your mistakes. David, as I said last week, is a very complex man. He's very intriguing. He's very multifaceted. He was a shepherd, a hunter, a warrior, a general, a king, a poet, a theologian, a champion, an outlaw, a ladies' man, a musician, a faithful friend, a sinner, a saint, a failed father, a prophet, a worship leader, an adulterer, a murderer, a brother, a husband, a son, a parent, a leader, a hero, an empire builder, Builder, an ancestor of Christ and a man after God's own heart. The record shows that David is a very complex man. He's both passionate at times and withdrawn. He's dependable and shocking. He's righteous and wicked. Just like we can be. He's a complicated man who became a very complicated king. He grew up in a very large family. He is the baby of the family. He lives in the shadow of his brothers and he's been relegated to the field to so look after the family business, the sheep out in the field. His job is basically to go find green pastures for the sheep and that's what he did all day long. We, we spell that B-O-R-I-N-G, boring. No smartphones, no Netflix, no video games to play. Just watching sheep eat. And then to spice up some things in his little town because he's from Bethlehem. This little podunk town of Bethlehem, um, during this particular part of history, Bethlehem is a, is a no place. Um, probably like, like Bright's Grove. Like people just don't, uh, like a one, fla oh I shouldn't have said that, that's probably not a good example. I was just thinking Bright's Grove had a flashing light. But uh, um, Bethlehem is like a, a town that you just didn't go to. 
Like it, it's kind of a detour. You have to make special plans to go to a place like Bethlehem. And in Bethlehem, of all things, the old age prophet Samuel shows up in town. And you can imagine the leaders of the town, the elders of the town, are, are they, they can't, well, they're, they're, they're so tense, they're right on edge because, because people like that don't come to our town. And here's Samuel, the prophet has made his way to Podunkville, Bethlehem. And so they know something's up. Somebody must be in trouble. Well, something was up because Samuel is about to commit treason. He is going to, he's come to anoint a new king, even though there is a current king sitting on the throne. Samuel has no idea who it is other than it's going to be one of the sons of Jesse. And last week we talked about that beauty pageant that took place where you know, all the sons marched in front of Samuel because Samuel's gonna figure out, who, God would tell him who the son was. And son number one comes and, and, um, and God says no. And then son number two, no. And, and seven times, no, 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 no. At that point, Samuel says, Houston, we got a problem. We've used up all of our resources. And he says to Jesse, Jesse, are these all your sons? And he says, yes, they're all my sons. Every one of them is handsome as me. And then Samuel goes, oh no, I don't mean are these all. I mean, are there more? Do you have any more sons? And then Jesse, of course, says, well, yes, there's the youngest, but he's just a teenager. And he's working out in the fields looking after the family herd of sheep. And Samuel says, well, go get him. And when, da when David walks into the room, there is nothing outwardly that says, wow, that would be the perfect pick to be the future king of Israel. Yet what we discover, God doesn't just look at the outward. God looks down deep inside of the core of men and women. And God says to Samuel, that's him. That's the man. No one saw that coming. No one could have predicted that a shepherd boy as a teenager with a mundane job would be anointed as the next king of Israel. I am sure Samuel must have, must have been a little bit confused. I'm sure he must have said, Lord, are you sure that's the one? Can you take a look at those other brothers again? There's Eliab, look at him. His presence when he walks in the room commands attention. Or, or what about Eliab? Like last month, he was Mr. Mediterranean. Or, or, or what about Shania? Uh, Shania, he was, um, he graduated valedictorian from Bethlehem High. Or, or, or what about the next guy? Like he, he, was, he, he was voted as most uh, successful at a university. Or what about him? He won entrepreneur of the year. Or what about that other son? He won three gold medals at the last Israeli games. Surely God, one of those would be a better pick. And God says, no. It's this guy, it's this guy. And so Samuel takes the oil and pours it over his head and anoints him as the king. And we found out in 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse seven, once again, that all those things that impress us does not impress God. All those outward things that we try so hard for people to see doesn't impress God. Reminded again that God looks down deep into the hearts of men and women. Now, as I said, David is a very complex man. His emotions and his life is like a roller coaster. He has highs and lows. He has smiles and, and grimaces. Uh, he's an Eagle Scout one day and a convicted murderer the next. There is this raging David. There's weeping David. There's righteous David. There's chief sinner David. 
There's bloodthirsty David and there's God hungry David. I don't know about you, but boy, this gives me hope because he's still called a man after God's heart. And by the way, that title was never given to anybody else. Nobody in the Bible has that title, a man after God's own heart. The apostle Paul doesn't have that title. John the Baptist doesn't have that title. He was called the forerunner. The apostle John uh, was called the beloved, but nobody has this title. Not Abraham, not Moses, not Jacob, not Isaac, not Joshua, not Samuel, no one. Now for those of you who may be here this morning who have no sin in their life, you may be a little disappointed with the story of David, but for the rest of us, we find great assurance because we ride the same roller coaster that David rides. Max Lucado says it well. He says, we alternate between swan dives and belly flops. From souffles to burnt toast. And isn't that the truth? In David's good moments, there's no one any better. In David's bad moments, there's not anyone any worse. And that heart that was for God was a checkered heart. And I said this last week, there's so many things in the life of David that I desperately want in my life. And there's some things in David's life that I'm scared to death to know that they are in my life. This is the man that we're talking about today. Well, we ended last week with David being anointed as the next king and then everything goes back to normal. David goes back to the, to the fields and guarding his sheep and, and Samuel leaves town and goes back to the city. Nothing changes. And I'm sure David has to be somewhere out in the fields going, what did that old man mean? That I would become the next king. The king of what? The king of perhaps sheep? Like kings don't live out in the wilderness with no pillow to lay their heads on. Now before we continue with the story, let's just pause for a word of prayer and ask God to really give us a clear understanding of what's taking place this morning. Father, we're so thankful this morning for your presence. And God, we pray, we pray today that you would show us something from your word that would change our lives. God, would you send your spirit to instruct us today? Lord, we believe that nobody, nobody is here by accident. And you have something very specific for each one of us. So God, would you speak compellingly and convincingly to us this morning? Show us your strength. Show us your glory. Show us your grace that you offer to each and every one of us. Prepare us to receive all that you want us to receive this morning. And God, help us to be able to see Jesus in this very familiar story this morning, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, time has passed. David's doing his thing, Samuel's doing his thing, and now enough time has passed that Israel is on the verge of war. They are facing their nemesis. They're arch enemies. There is no lost love between the, the Philistines and Israel. And the Philistines believe this is the time to strike. This is the time to attack to make those Hebrews our subjects. And now they come up with this amazing idea. 
they, they shout over to the Israeli army and to the king and said, now listen, we know that every time we go to battle, <laughs> there's thousands of men who will be left here in a pool of blood. People always die when people go to battle. Let's not do that. We always know that when we battle, there's gonna be people who are lame, who are gonna have disabilities for the rest of their life. So why do that? Why, why put so many men's lives at risk? They said, we have a plan. Why don't you just send out your very finest soldier? We'll send out our finest soldier and we'll let them battle it out. So only one life will be, will only cost one life and the other will be willing to submit to the country that wins. Now, I, I believe that the Philistines really thought that they had this um, sewn up. Like this was a good deal for them. Uh, they thought they had it in the bag. See, because um, in their country, there was a city called Gath and Gath was known as the city that produced the tallest basketball players in all of the land. And their star player was in the military. We know him as Goliath. And the Bible says that he stood nine feet, nine inches tall. It says that his armor was about 200 pounds that covered his body. That the head of his spear was 25 pounds. He's been on the front cover of Fitness Muscle Magazine. And when he steps forward, everybody knows who he is. We know the story of David and Goliath. Whether you've grown in church all your life or you've never darkened the doors of church. People know this story, how a brave young man full of faith went to face a huge hulk of a man to save his people, Israel. And so the story picks up in Samuel chapter 17. So if you have your Bibles or a smartphone or something that you can follow along with, you can turn to 1 Samuel chapter 17, 1 Samuel chapter 17, and we will pick up that story. 1 Samuel chapter uh, 17. So just to give you a little bit of what's happening, Israel's on, one, on, on a mountain over here, the Philistines are over here, there's a valley in between. Now they have been facing off with each other for 40 days. 40 days they've been looking each other down. 40 days, the Philistines have taunted, have taunted the Israelites. 40 days, they have been making fun of Israel. 40 days, Israel has been in fear. But something happened on day 41. 40 days, day and night, morning and evening, Goliath would come out and taunt them. Have nobody out there that can, can battle me? Are you all scared out there? Are you nothing but a bunch of Like he taunted them for 40 days. But then day 41 comes and a young farm boy, a young farm boy comes to the battlefield sent by his father to bring some supplies to his older brothers who are fighting in the battle, who are part of the military. And he's to go and to bring these supplies and then he's to bring news back to the family as to how the battle is going. There's no CNN, there's no Fox News, there's not even any fake news to cover the story that's taking place here. 
And he's a report back. And so David arrives at camp and he's chatting away and getting the latest information when all of a sudden Goliath stands forth and makes a very bold statement again. And these trained soldiers, these military men run in fear, run under the aprons of their mother, their mother's apron. Sometimes I think, say things backwards. They're so, they're so, so fearful. And, and David says, like, what, what are you, are you afraid of that guy? That guy? Like, what, what, what's happening? You let him taunt the people of God, that man over there? Like, what, what, is, what is this all about? And then they explain to David, here's the challenge that's been given to us. And David thinks that through and says, well, no, nobody will do this? You're telling me that the king has said that, that whoever wins this battle, they can have their daughter's, his daughter's hand in marriage? You mean they're going to get a large sum of money? You mean their family will be exempt from paying taxes for the rest of their life and nobody's taken the challenge? No, nobody. And David, most scholars will say that David probably was at the age of 15, 16, maybe even 17, never been trained in the military at all. Just a young guy who shows up with some food supplies for his brother. And so as he's talking to these soldiers, he says, I'll do it. I, I have no problem. I'll, I'll go out and face the giant. And so the soldiers go to the king and say, there's a man who says they will go fight Goliath. I'm sure Saul probably had to think, well, I wonder what West Point grad it is that that's gonna fight. I wonder what general of mine, I wonder what mighty military man is gonna fight this guy. And he comes out of his tent and behold, there's a child. I'm sure he, might have, he must have been ticked off and said, this is no boy's game. We're at war. This is a man's game. And then David passes Saul his resume and he says, well, I know it might not look like much, but um, you know, one time there was a lion who attacked, tried to take one of my, tried to steal one of my sheep. I took him down. Yeah, his head is hanging on the family room wall. And then his other resume turns the page and says, hey, and one time there was a bear who actually tried to take one of my sheep. Yeah, his paws are on my nightstand, okay. And he says, the living God that delivered me from those is the same God that will deliver me from that giant. David spoke with such confidence. There's no quivering in his voice. His eyes aren't shifting. He spoke as though he had actually killed the giant already. And then Paul, then Saul speaks up and says, you know, well, may the Lord be with you. But just in case he isn't, put on my armor. And so David tries to put on the king's armor. The thing is though, when you read about Saul, the Bible says that Saul stood head and shoulders above everybody in the country. Like everybody could see Saul. And so David's trying to put on uh, his outfit when he realizes Saul shops at the big and tall store. I'm the small and petite guy. This is not gonna work for me. And so David, with his board shorts and a tank top and flip flops, and a slingshot. Goes down to the water, perhaps sees his reflection in the water, and maybe even says, God, if, this, if I'm not supposed to do this, tell me now, because I'm, I'm gonna go out with a confidence that you're gonna defend us. And he, 
and he collects five stones. In fact, let's just pick up the story. I think it's, we can pick it up in verse uh, 41. In 41. Meanwhile, the Philistine with his shield bearer in front of him kept coming closer to David. He looked David over and saw that he was only a boy, ruddy, handsome, and he despised him. He said to David, am I a dog that you come at me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. Come here, he said, and I'll give your flesh to the birds of the air and the beasts of the fields. And David said to the Philistine, you come against me with a sword and a spear and a javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defiled. This day, the Lord will hand you over to me and I will strike you down and cut off your head. Pretty bold little guy. I'm like, I don't think I'd be counting my chickens before they hatch. I think I'd be keeping this a little, a little quiet. Be honest with you, what happens is David goes out and all you can hear is the, like the whistle of the sling and the thud as it hits Goliath in the head and the thump as he falls to the ground. Now Goliath, as he's come out to the field, he's so disappointed because he realizes there's not even gonna be a challenge. You send me this, this skinny, scrawny little boy. I call him Twiggy. What do you expect? And David says, you muscle-bound steroid user. <laughs> the battle is like a toy poodle with a Rottweiler. And what's amazing is David doesn't say, okay, um, give me some last-minute instructions. Like, is he left-handed or right-handed? How far can he actually throw that job? How far should I stay away? How quick is he? No. He's so bold in fact, he runs towards him. He doesn't even let Goliath get a chance to get prepared. He actually runs towards him. And then he uses that deadly weapon of a rock. And he takes down a giant. And he does something very gruesome, very gross. He runs towards him. And while he's lying on the ground, he pulls Goliath's sword and cuts his head off. And the Bible records for us that the Philistines took off running. Nobody else wanted to do donate their head for the War Memorial Museum back in Israel. And they take off running. Now I realize we can read this story and there's multiple ways that we could interpret this. One way is the fact is uh, each one of us, we know each one of us, we have our own giants that cause us to climb back in the hole and be scared to death. We know that our giants don't carry swords and shields, for sure. No, our giants simply whisper in our ear. They whisper things like unemployment, abandonment, sexual abuse, depression. I, I like how one author puts it. He says, your giant doesn't parade up and down the hills. He prances through your office, your bedroom, your classroom, and he brings bills that you cannot pay, grades that you cannot make, people that you cannot please, whiskey that you cannot resist, pornography that you cannot refuse, a career that you cannot escape, a past that you cannot shape, and a future that you cannot face. Oh, we know the roar of our Goliath. 
the first thing that we think about when we wake up in the morning. It's the last thing on our mind as we drift off to sleep. And for some of us, our giants have dominated our entire lives and robbed us of any joy that we might have. In this particular situation, uh, the giant that Israel's facing is, this has been going on for 40 days, 40 days, every day, morning and night. No way getting away from it. Goliath blocks the light of the sun from hitting their face and keeps them out in the cold. We know the sound of his voice, our giant, and the strut of his walk. You can see him a mile in the distance. But notice what David sees. When when I read the story, it's like David doesn't see a giant. David sees um, a dwarf compared to the size of God. And David majors on God and minors on the giant that's breathing down his neck. And he has that battle cry. You come with me with sword and shield. I come in the name of the Lord. David takes immediate action. No time for the giant to prepare. And he charges right at him. We all need stories like this. There's no doubt. We all need stories because giants do lurk around in our neighborhoods. And we all want to know that we can be able to take down a giant. All of us want to be a giant slayer. One of the things I appreciate about Israel when you read through their history, every time God did something so amazing, Israel would build a monument. So every time that they would walk by, parents would say to their kids or their grandkids or their great-grandkids, oh, I gotta tell you the story. It was so amazing. I was there the day that it happened. We were so fearful as a country. The military was so fearful and then God showed up. God used a, I don't know if I remember his name, but he was a young farm boy that came and delivered us. We all need stories like that to remind us that God is faithful. I know that, that there's victories when we follow him. And when we, when we focus on God, and every time actually David focuses on God, giants fall. And every time he takes his eyes off God, David falls. Now this is a classic, um, it's a classic underdog story. And even though David's small, though he's underwhelming, he's fearless. I mean, no one but this young teenager is willing to fight the giant. I'm sure he must have looked around and go, like, what's wrong with you guys? What's wrong? Now, as guys especially, all of us want to be like a David. All of us want to be fearless. We all want to have courage against all odds. All of us want to be able to stand in the gap. All of us want to be William Wallace and Braveheart as he challenges people to take arms and fear not. All of us want to be Captain America, Iron Man, fighting for what is right and fighting against what is wrong. I don't know if we'll ever grow out of that season because we all want to be heroic. We read the story, we say, man, I just want to be like David. I wish I had that kind of faith. I wish I was fearless. And that's typically, I think, how we read that story, that you too can be a giant slayer in your life. But here's... 
here's the problem when I see us reading that story and that's the primary purpose of the story. Here's the problem. Is that when we read that story like that, the primary hero of the story then is us. Like we're the heroes of the story. I, I definitely think there's things for us to learn here about fighting uh, giants in our life, but certainly that cannot be the primary reason of the story. If you have the faith of David that you too can cut off the heads of giants. I mean, we've heard that certainly preached over and over and over again, how we can stand against all odds and win. The problem is we arise as the hero of the story and that David is the hero of the story. And what we, what we learn is we studied more of David's life. He's not always heroic. He's not always brave. He doesn't always win. In fact, he fails miserably. And when you read the Psalms, you definitely can pick up that. So many times where he's fearful not heroic, where he falters and where he fails. No, this story is not primarily about David. If we think this story is about David, then we reflect it back to us and say, no, we're the hero of the story. But let me tell you, when you become the hero of the story, it honestly, it puts you in bondage. It's like slavery because now it's up to you to deliver yourself. It's up to you to always be heroic. It's up to you to always be courageous. But what happens? What happens when next week we can't overcome the addiction? Like, when we can't see ourselves beating our anger problem, we find ourselves at a meeting and we just get angry again when we said we would never do it again. Or we're at a meeting and we say something, we go, man, I never, I was never gonna say words like that again. And you do. Or you say, you know what, I, I, I know when I manipulate people, it hurts people, so I'm not going to do it anymore. And then a month later, you find yourself manipulating somebody. Where's the hope when we fail? What about when you, you, you've taken time to teach your children right and wrong, and they go running off doing their own thing? Then What? What about when your spouse walks out on you and you've tried everything to save your marriage? You've, you've given, you've, you've sacrificed, and, and they run off for a younger version. Then what? Then what? Where do we go? See, we can't always be the hero in the story. There are so many times we try and we try and then we fail. And then we try again and we do a little bit better, but then we'll fail. I know one area in my particular life that I have tried to be so consistent and I just fail over and over again. That is, I've said, I've always wanted to be that man who always gets up before the crack of dawn to read his Bible and pray. I have a grandfather, as I've told you many times, he was a pastor and he always was at the church office by 5 a.m. Every day. 5 a.m., reading his Bible, praying, go back to the house at 7, help the kids get up or off to school, back to church. I'm going to be just like that. And sometimes I've seen some of you guys post some videos, you know, 4 o'clock in the morning, and you're full of energy, and you're praying, and you've had a great time with the Lord. I'm like, I want to do that. And I have these seasons in my life I do really, really well, and then, man, I just don't do so well some days. I hit snooze after snooze after snooze, and then it's noon, and then, uh, yeah. Not quite that bad. 
I'm telling you, we get the Christian life wrong if we read this story that it's about us. How many times have there been things in our lives that we just haven't been able to conquer? We say, you know what? Life is short. I'm not going to get frustrated anymore when I'm sitting in a long line. And, and the line is so, because <laughs> the people ahead of you, you're in the express lane, <laughs> 10 items, and there's 32 in her cart, right? And you're like, no, life's too short to get upset. But then you find yourself going back to that place again. Or, you know, you're like, you say, okay, I am not going to let somebody who has a very dominant personality to bug me. Oh, my goodness. And they do, Right? Or you say, you know what? I'm, gonna, I'm not gonna get upset when they give their stupid opinion. I just won't. And then once again, you're like, how can you be that stupid? And you're like, what? Or you say, you know, honestly, I, I'm giving up lustful thoughts. I've, I've, been a, I've done away with it. And then something flashes by your computer screen. And all of a sudden, you're back there again. Because you haven't conquered it. There is no hope let me tell you this. I want to say it again. There is no hope if we read this story moralistically. Even if we carry it off in some moments of life, even if there's times when we turn the other cheek, but then the next moment we fail. It plays into our deep desire to be the hero. But we will leave here in despair this morning, if everything depends on us. Oh, I've gotta, I've gotta kill that giant. I gotta do this, I gotta fix this in my life, I gotta do this. Honestly, you, you leave here with the weight of the world. Because we know we can't do it. We just know it. We, maybe we don't like to admit it outwardly, but we know inwardly. We can't carry that kind of weight. So, the question would, how should we read a story like this? Well, to me, this story points actually to one true hero. This story foreshadows the one who actually would come. This story tells us about someone who needed to fill in the gap. Like David, who went into the battlefield like the sacrificial lamb, and everyone seemed to be pleased that he was willing to do it. Even King Saul, who should have been the one to fight the battle. It should have been King Saul, tallest man, biggest man. It should have been him fighting the giant, but no, a substitute comes and fills in the gap. David, a young, unassuming teen teenager, who, by the way, does not look the picture of a deliverer. Nobody looked at David and go, yeah, <laughs> that guy can do it. Nobody looked at him as a deliverer. And David goes in. Now, this is what's amazing. David goes in. He wins the battle. And the victory is credit to the whole military. They, they received the credit as well. Because they were there that day. Another. Another stood in the gap. And for Israel, that person was David. And freedom was given to everybody because of what David had done. Sound familiar? Well, years later, someone would come and stand in the gap while we were in a corner, knowing that we couldn't do it on our own anymore. And we benefit, and we benefit 
from someone else's death. We get the fruit of the victory, though we didn't lift a finger. We are the ones who are set free, even though, though we're saved single-handedly by the work of another, one who would stand in the gap, one who would fight for us, and that's why we celebrate. That's why we can call a service like this a celebration service. We should celebrate every time we come together because of what we have in Christ, that someone would come and stand in the gap for you, that someone would fight the battle on your behalf and you get the joy, the spoils of the victory. We cannot set ourselves free, by the way. No matter how hard you try, you can't do it. We just can't seem to do it. And David paints us a picture of someone who would come and stand in the gap and who would fight for our freedom and free us from a giant and take that giant down. The giant of sin was met with one who could win and then offers the spoils to us all. We call it grace. Grace. That's grace that can pardon all of our sin. I never get tired of hearing that. In fact, I have to say it to myself all the time to, just to remind myself, is it, is it that true? Can that really be true? That grace could pardon all of my sin. I have said this before, I'll say it again. Grace makes no sense. Honestly, the gospel makes no sense. We are conditional people who live in a conditional world, who live with other conditional people. We live based on conditions. And here's, here's what God does. God says, he sends his son, though we are his arch enemies. That's what I don't get. It. Like, why we were still his enemies, why we were still shaking our fists at God, God says, I'm going to send a deliverer for you. That makes no sense. But that's God. And God meets our rebellion with his redemption. It doesn't make sense. But aren't you thankful that he does? Are you thankful for his grace? The Bible has one plot line. It's a Christ-centered plot line. There's not one story in the Old Testament and another story in the New Testament. It's one story, one plot line through both, and that one story is Jesus. And that's why we celebrate for what he's done for us. Let's pray. Father, this morning... We thank you for familiar stories like this. A story that we, most of us I'm sure have heard since we have been little children. And Lord, I pray that we would not get confused as to what the primary storyline is of David and Goliath. Lord, I am thankful, I am thankful that when I'm weak, you're strong, and that you can take down those giants in our lives. Thank you, Lord. Thank you that it doesn't depend on me to be the hero. I'm so grateful that you are. And I'm thankful that you're a, a hero that doesn't falter, never fails. Always dependable. Always the one that we can count on. Lord, you're such an amazing God. 
we come here and we have reason to celebrate because someone stood in the gap. Someone took our place, fought our fight, won it, and then shares with us the spoils of victory. Thank you for the cross, and thank you that you conquered it, and thank you for the promise that one day you're coming back for your children. Oh, what a day that will be. What a reunion that will be. But Lord, we understand that until that day happens, you've given us a job, and Lord, part of that job is just telling people the greatest story, the good news, someone stood in the gap for them. Help us to be bold to share that story, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.